Are you dumb enough to be rich? Well, are you? Bill Barnett's critically acclaimed book, Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich?, is a personal account of Bill's own journey to becoming a real estate investor. In his book, Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich?, Bill shares his experiences, insight, and advice in a well-written, easy-to-follow account that gets investors thinking and acting. Find Are You Dumb Enough to Be Rich? on Amazon and other outlets or purchase your copy directly at www.investorguyspodcast.com. Hey, Bill, how's it going? It is good, Kev. Welcome in, everybody, to uh, InvestorPodcast.com, InvestorGuysPodcast.com. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you guys uh, being here. and uh, Taking your time out and joining us while we uh, ramble on about real estate. Yep, yep, yep. It is uh, it's what we love doing. You know, real estate is 24-7, and uh, we appreciate you guys being here. And So, Kev, what's on the agenda today? You know, today I was thinking, let's talk about projects that we are actually working on right now, like right this moment. Um, we are not, we don't just play investors on a podcast. We are actual working investors. And I thought it might be interesting I, just to share a few because we've got a lot going. I think if we shared all of them, we'd probably take up too much time. But let's share some of the ones we're working on like right, right now and uh, provide some insight like how we found the property, um, what our plans are for the property, where we are, what stages we're doing, um, and move on to the next property. I'll let you start. Um, I went under um, soft contract uh, based on the attorney drawing it up, but agreement with the seller to buy a property today, this morning, uh, to buy a property with seller financing. Um, so with uh, almost no money down and um, it's a property that will probably produce 250 to 350 in uh, net positive cash flow um, a month as a rental, based on the fact that that's what seller financing, which is uh, typically a little pricier than traditional financing. So uh, that's one going on um, right there. I've got uh, four rehabs going on right now. One, uh, let's see this. Everything slowed a little bit based on. Oh, on hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me let me slow you down real quick. Yep. Tell us how you found the property for the seller financing. Tell us tell us the the story leading up to that. So I, I we're going to talk in two phases of finding property here. Right now, because the market is still hot in the Dallas Fort Worth area, ninety seven percent or more of all properties on the MLS. So. That's the easy way to go find property. And, and investors that don't use the MLS, I just think they're doing this financially. Yeah, especially the ones spending and, money to buy lists from other people. Yeah. Then as the market changes and we get into a down market, there'll be a lot of other ways that we will market to attract property coming to us. Right now, you don't have to do that because it's just everywhere. Uh, and so how do I, so I found this property on the MLS. Now, you can do this with, and, and Kevin and I were just talking about this prior to, you can do this by going to realtor.com, R-E-L-T-O-R, realtor.com. And one of the things you can put your priorities in there are your criteria, your filters in their system. And with that, the, every property that's on the MLS in a local market automatically filters over to realtor.com, which is 
the National Association of Realtors site for the public. So they want you going there. They want you looking at what uh, you can find there. And what they want you to do is, is do a little legwork yourself, find a property and then contact the agent. So what I was doing is I look through there, but also in the filters, I'm looking for owner financing. So I, I look at foreclosures. I look at all, all kind of different filters for different things. And I happened to be looking for seller financing a few days ago and came across a property. I knew the neighborhood. Uh, it happened to be vacant. So I did a drive by. It had a box on it. I called and was able to get the locked box coded. It was a, a mechanical box, not an electronic box because I'm not a real estate agent. So on the mechanical box, I was able to get um, the code on it and does help owning a brokerage firm because I was able to call the a listing agent on it and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Now, here's the interesting thing. It has a MLS listing, even though it is seller financing, which means that the seller understands they're going to have to come up with some cash to be able to typically to be able to pay the listing agent for putting it in the MLS. My down payment is not enough to cover that. And, and I wouldn't be doing it if it, if they needed that much. And, and sometimes that is going to be the case. They're going to require it be the, the 3%. I offered them 5,000 down said, I'm, I'm willing to uh, take it on at five grand down. I'm not doing any more than that. And that was the end of it. And for me, it was fine with that. So in doing that, they're able to get the property out to the maximum number of people by having it in the MLS. You and I can access it through realtor.com. And so I go through and I look at filters and the filter I was looking at was owner financing. And, and sometimes you'll, depending on where you are in the country, it may say special financing. So I'm always looking at that kind of stuff to basically see if I can pick up a freebie. And so when you find that, then you just start working on the deal. So that's how that deal was found. I knew the area already. Uh, as soon as I saw the zip code, I was like, oh, nice. Um, of course, I had some pictures, looked at a few pictures, uh, liked the way things looked. I'll probably be able to turn it around. Um, I haven't been, um, spent a lot of time, uh, like I hadn't been up in the attic yet. So I, just a cursory look. Um, I don't think I'm going to have to spend anything on it. Maybe a good cleaning and that's about it. Um, so that'll be very good to turn around to quickly get uh, a renter in the property, be able to start pulling some positive cash flow. And how often do you look through the MLS for, for seller financing, owner financing? I, I'll typically do that a couple of times a month. I don't do it as much as I should do it. I'll tell you that because most of the time when I look through there, I, I find something that's worth going after. Uh, I'm in the MLS almost every day. Uh, so whether you're a, an agent or you have good access to an agent or whether you're going through realtor.com, you should be looking on a regular basis so that when the hot deals pop in, you know how quickly it takes to react to it and it doesn't get gone because Oh, I, you know, I didn't look this week. And so, so you missed something. Most of the time you wouldn't even know that you missed it. Uh, so um, when I'm not looking, uh, whether it's that filter or not, if I'm not looking at the MLS, basically every day, 
um, I feel like I'm not doing my job because it's such an easy way to find property. It absolutely is. So tell us about the uh, two flips that you're working on, the rehabs that you're working on. I'm actually how did, you, how did you find those? What's that for? Yeah. Okay, how did you find so, those? Uh, so yeah, let's start with, we'll just kind of roll through them. One of them is a, um, a property that another investor had and had called me and he had had it as a rental property and decided that he was going to sell it. And he said, I, I know you work with investors. And, and so um, I want to give you a shot at this. And I said, great, I'll, I'll come look at it. And I did love the area. It's a complete gut. I mean, it, it's, this is, uh, it had been vacant for over two years. He was renting it to a family member. That family member died. Um, so that's, you know, whenever you're selling a property and there's been a death, whether it be murder or natural causes that has to be disclosed. That's correct. Uh, suicide has to be disclosed. So <clears throat> a lot of people don't want to buy that. Um, so, and this was a natural causes death. And, and uh, other than all that, it was a, a male member of the family, other than all that guy's stuff was there. And we had to coordinate him getting all of that out, which took longer than it should have. But um, <clears throat> so, that's a stumbling block for some people. Some people don't want to buy that. So I ran the numbers, asked him what he was looking for. He gave me a number. I offered him 25,000 less than, than what he was asking for. Cause I told him, I, I was like, look, if you honestly think you can pull that number, then you don't need to sell it to me. Cause I'm not paying that. Uh, he said, Oh, and I'm like, here's what I'm okay with. Uh, but I, I'm not, we're 25 grand off. So, uh, he said, well, you know, let me talk to my wife. And they called me the next morning and said they would take it. <clears throat> and basically, one of the things that was mentioned to him is, you know, if this is not a high price property, but if you go in and you're selling this through the MLS, you're going to end up having about eight or $9,000 worth of fees uh, between commission and closing costs that come out that we might be able to uh, get around. <clears throat> we were able to close through uh, my attorney. And so it helped uh, the closing costs there. Uh, and obviously no uh, real estate commissions involved on either for him or me or no 6% that helped. Uh, so it's easy for them to come to that decision. Plus there was no headaches. It was done. It was a one phone call sale for him. Yeah. So it's complete gut though. And I'm also and adding remember, footage time to is it. money. Yeah. Yeah. Time is money. The more money, you, the more time you can save for yourself and for others, the more money that equates to, because that's time you can spend buying something mm -hmm. else or looking for something else. So how do you so, find a deal like that? You have to be known in, in the community. And I don't mean where the house is. I mean, in the real estate investing community, People have to know that you're actively looking for deals all the time. Agents have to know that so that when something comes up, just like this guy did, you're who they think about. And if you're not in the process, if you're not at clubs, if you're not at trainings, if you're not, you don't have cards that tell people you're an investor. If you're not telling everybody that, you know, Hey, I, I'm an investor. If you see anything, holler at me then when deals like that come up, they don't think about you. And if they don't think about you, it could cost you 
thousands and thousands of dollars. It's going to somebody else. Yeah, because it because you didn't get it because they didn't think about you. Yeah. So that things like that will fall in your lap if you are doing the right thing. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Well, part of your job is letting people know, hey, this is the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Exactly. Looking tell them what tell them what you want ranges. so that you're not yeah. wasting their time. Yeah. And yeah. basically, I'm looking at anything in the Metroplex. Um, it gets a, when you get to the far reaches of, like it's a stretch uh, now, people still call McKinney, which is far north, um, the Metroplex. Well, that's an hour for me. Uh, and that's an hour in good traffic. I, I'm not interested in that. But um, you know what? McKinney's been, McKinney's been popular. Oh, it's McKinney. McKinney's been super popular. Popping, happening place. Yeah. It's just that for me, because I'll go by and check once or twice a week on, on a property. Uh, on the, if I'm getting it, what's going on with it, I may be there more than that on the front end. So, you know, just to go in and kind of make sure everything's staying on track. I'm not hanging out and working, but I'm just going in to make sure everything's staying on track. Uh, and then after it gets, I'm confident that it's going the way I want it to go, a couple of times a week, I'll just swing by. I always go by unannounced. I don't want my contractors knowing when I'm going to get there. Um, I'm not trying to catch them not doing something uh, or doing something they're not supposed to, but I'm also not tipping them off to stop if they are. And as you build relationships with these contractors, that becomes uh, less and less of an issue for you. Uh, most of the guys that work with me have been with me for many years. Uh, so I'm not worried about that kind of thing, but I'm also, I don't feel like I owe them a, Hey, I'm coming by. It's my property. So I don't need to announce that I'm coming by. Um, so those, uh, when you look at an area, make sure the people that play in that area understand where you want to be. Now you start small. Uh, let me, let me interrupt you really quick and let's take yep. a break. Okay. Oh, is it time or great? It's already, we'll yeah. We'll talk about Let's take a break and we'll get back to that thought in just a second. Did you know that the Investor Guys podcast with Bill Barnett and Kevin Mills are not only available on your favorite audio podcast platform, they're also available in video form on Facebook, YouTube, and the Investor Guys podcast website at www.investorguyspodcast.com. Bill and Kevin show actual numbers, projects, and more. All things you'll miss if you don't check out the video. So after you listen to this podcast, visit us online and watch it again, www.investorguyspodcast.com or on your favorite social media. DREPclub.com. That's DREPclub.com for the greatest real estate club on the planet. Workshops, presentations, trainings, education, resources, and more. The Directed Real Estate Professionals Club, DREPclub.com. Participate in person or virtually, www.DREPclub.com. All right, Bill, we're back from the break. And, uh, Welcome back to the Investor Guys uh, podcast. But uh, tell me... Finish what you're talking about for your for your. Other so we were right there. We were right so there. We to the break. We were right there. So um, as I mentioned, in are you dumb enough to be rich? One one of the things that you want to look at is when you're getting started, don't look at the whole U.S. Don't look at your whole state. Don't look at your whole like for us. Um, Kevin lives in a big city. Orlando's two and a half million, two million. Yeah, actually, and uh, we're we're leaving in two weeks back to uh, our home in Palm Beach. So, oh, cool. We're we're we're, we're 
done here for the time being. I got a lot of projects. We'll talk about those in a few minutes, but we're heading back to Palm Beach in two weeks. I love Palm Beach, dude. So, uh, you know, you, you don't want to look at an overwhelming area size. As you are more confident and get more deals done and, and your experience level goes up, you can easily expand to a larger level. You can, I, I buy stuff all over the country. I look at stuff all over the country. Um, I have a conference call this afternoon with uh, Oppenheimer Funds and uh, with one of their uh, mutual funds that buys large apartment complexes. I've done some business with them in the past. They call just got, they've got $8 billion that they're sitting on. And, and one of the guys called me and said, Barnett, we need property. And, it, and of course it has some very specific parameters to it, but that's something that can be applied nationally. Well, you don't start that way. I'd say start about 30 minutes, no more than that, circumference from where you live so that you can easily go look at property. And as you start doing your first few flips or your first rentals and you're prepping it for it to go onto the market, that it's easy to get to should you need to. You're asking for a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, if you get way too out. Um, I've told Kev this one. One of my favorite stories is a, a client that ended up becoming a client after she had taken some training elsewhere from LA and her very first deal was she bought a property in Atlanta. And I said, okay, I, I just bear with me a second here. What in the world were you thinking buying a property all the way across the country from where you are and it being your very first property? Well, the guy I bought it from and she bought it from a seminar company. The guy I bought it from said it was a good deal. Well, duh, you think he would say anything different? Uh, and I said, now what's going on? What happened was the property was not getting rented. It got vandalized. And now she's sitting there going, I have a damaged property in Atlanta that can't be rented until it's repaired. I don't know where to go. She starts calling the helpline and got no help. So, you know, oh, we can't refer particular contractors. And that's true. They can't cause they don't have any. So, um, she called me and I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to work trying to find you contractors to come and do carpentry work in, in Atlanta and stuff. My suggestion to you is because this property at your level of experience is always going to be a problem. Let's get you out of it. And if there's any possible way to get you out of it without losing any money, let's do that. And a um, mm, couple of grand, but, uh, is what she lost, but that would have, that hole would have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, okay, now let's find you a property. Uh, yeah, I get it. It's going to be a lot more expensive in LA, but it's also going to be there. And until you get your feet under you, don't be venturing out and having to hop on a plane and fly across country. If something happens to your property and you need to be there, could happen. Uh, it happened to her certainly. So start small as your experience level grows, expand your circle of, of business. And of course you'll expand the types of deals you're doing. Pick a niche that you like to start with. It's not a commitment for life. It is, if you want to do a flip, say, that's what I'm going to do. If you want to do a rental property straight out of the shoot, that's what I'm going to do. 
and look at this one narrow lane to get started in. And then as you have success in that lane, whatever it is, wholesaling, multifam, doesn't matter. Once you start having success in that lane, then you look at, okay, now I want to expand and bring this other piece into my portfolio of experience as well. Now I'm going to ask you a little off topic, but yep. when you do uh, locally, when you uh -huh. do cash flow properties, are you doing property management yourself? No. no. Great question. And so why do I not do property management? Because you're going to hear people say, oh gosh, property managers could cost you 10% of your rent bill. That's absolutely correct. You betcha. And why am I not doing that? Because my time and my frustration is worth way more to me than 10%. So think about this, $150 a month in management fee. That means that you're getting $1,500 in rent. They're taking a 10% management fee. And look, it's not likely to be worse than 10%. And as you grow your business, it'll start dropping. I know uh, Kevin Cleveland's down to three uh, and it'll drop the more doors they have with you, that rate will drop. But initially, you're likely to be paying 10%. And then you're going to set a dollar amount where you say, and for me, it's 500 bucks. I'm like, hey, look, you know what? Um, if something happens to the property and it's under $500, just do it. Guess what? Almost everything's going to be under 500 unless the HVAC goes out or the roof gets damaged. Once it's something major, it's like, just get it fixed. And, you know, I don't even want them to call me. And this is based on relationship again. It'll be different on the front end. But as that relationship grows and you get comfortable with your management people, then it's, look, you don't even have to call me and tell me that um, we had a, a, something happen to the toilet. We're having to replace it. It's going to cost us $120 and it's going to cost us $75 to have it put in. They don't need to call me and ask me that. That falls within the parameters dollar-wise that I have given them to be able to go spend without having to have my okay. And so when I get the next month's check, it always has an explanation page with it. Most of the time it's blank. Every now and then it'll have, hey, we had to replace the toilet in the master bath. It was $125 and we spent $50 for installation or whatever the numbers are. Okay, great. And then my check is, is less that month. Um, so if it's a big expenditure, they're going to call you. If it is over and, and making sure you have the right property manager, knowing what to look for in a property management company. A lot of property management companies will actually do a 10 to 20% fee for any time they have to do service. Um, a lot of property managers will guarantee their tenant for six months that they place in the property. Those are things that you want to know before you go into that. But we'll talk about more of properties and projects we've got going on when we come back from this break. Bill Barnett and Kevin Mills host the Investor Guys podcast and share their real estate investing insights, strategies, and knowledge for audiences across America. Did you know that the Investor Guys, Bill and Kevin, have comprehensive investor education trainings and events available? Live and virtual workshops, training programs, events, and more. Bill and Kevin even have hands-on training events, consultations, and quick start programs, including the acclaimed real estate buyers events all designed to get investors started in putting performing properties into their real estate portfolios. Bill and Kevin have each been successfully investing in real estate 
and educating real estate investors for decades and bring that experience to everything they do. Bill and Kevin both have unique approaches to investing and investor training, and thousands of investors attribute their investing success to the trainings they have received from Bill and Kevin. If you are ready to get started as a real estate investor, the timing has never been better. Every day you wait to get started is a day forever lost. To check out how the investor guys are ready to get you started, visit investorguys.com. That's www.investorguys.com. Are you ready for a new type of real estate club? A club for new and seasoned real estate investors as well as real estate professionals of all types? A real estate club that you can participate in virtually or in person. A real estate club that offers in-person and virtual presentations, workshops, events, networking, resources, and more. Though this may sound like the real estate club of the future, it is not science fiction. It is reality. Directed Real Estate Professionals, also known as DREP, was started in the late 1990s in Southern California and is growing into cities across America. Whether you live in one of these cities or not, you can participate and take advantage of all DREP has to offer. If you live in a city that already has a DREP meeting, join them in person or online the first and third Tuesdays of every month. If you live in a city that doesn't have a DREP, consider hosting your local meeting. We'll show you how to set up your local club and walk you through getting started everything to get it rolling. You can also join any area meeting online from anywhere in the world. Getting started is easy. Just check us out online at www.drepclub.com. That's www.drepclub.com and we'll see you there. And we are back with the Investor Guys podcast. I'm Kevin Mills, and this is Bill Barnett. And Welcome back, everybody. We were just talking about property management before we went into, into the break. And long and short of it is because we can do a whole show on property management. And we're not going to. And probably will at some point. But knowing what you're looking for when you're building a team. And if I, if I have a property that is next door to where I live, I will not do the property management because I don't want to be that person who they're calling saying my toilet is this, my toilet is that, my refrigerator is not working, whatever it is. And, and those are other things to go over with property management that I, I don't deal with. All my property managers don't deal with as well. But for another topic, um, wrap up telling us about the other, uh, the other projects that you have going on and we'll talk about my projects on a different show. Okay. So um, I have a, a, another property in the, the Western side of the Metroplex um, that it, the last 10 or 12 flips that, that I've got involved with, I seem to be guts. Uh, that happens a lot. Uh, and it's because that's where the values are. And I, I looked at this property and I said, you know, if they're going to play, uh, this, this was an institutional property, institutional foreclosure, bank owned. And I said, if they're going to play, I'm in if they want to um, get top dollar. So here's what happens a lot of times when you're looking specifically at the foreclosure market in a particular area, certainly uh, here in the Metroplex. Agents, uh, you have to think about what an agent's going through here a little bit. Banks do not want to deal with you and I directly as a buyer or seller. They would rather deal with an agent because that agent may have 20, 30, 50, 100 properties 
controlled by that bank. And that bank doesn't want to deal with 20, 30, 50, 100 prospective buyers or more. They want to deal with one person. So they bring in an agent and go under contract, typically to say, hey, you know what? For the next year, all the foreclosures we get will go to you, uh, unless we fire you, but they'll go to you. And that's the agreement. So when I start negotiating, one of the first things I'm looking at when I look at a property is who is the listing agent? Because it's with an institution, it's going to be with an agent. So I'll look at that and you'll find in most areas, there are a very small number of relatively powerful agents that this is their expertise. There's about six in the Metroplex that probably handle 70% of all the foreclosures. Now there's a lot of agents that handle bank foreclosures, but a lot of them will have one or two listings. There's about six that you're gonna hit about 70% of the market when you're dealing with those people. So that's one of the first things I'm doing is I'm looking at who's the agent there. Almost all of those, and certainly the six, I've bought from at some point or another. So when I call, they know I'm serious. And I also have a feel for, based on experience, what it's gonna be like dealing with them. Most of them, you are not dealing directly with the agent that is listed. You're dealing with somebody in their office because most of them have teams uh, of four, five, six people because of the volume that they handle. And so until it gets to be um, a specific sticking point that you're negotiating, you may or may not talk to the listing agent at all. You may just totally be dealing with somebody in their office. So this is how um, I found this property. I looked at it, I recognized the seller and or the seller's agent. And I was like, good. Um, I bought several properties through her. All, all went smoothly on my side. So I'm like, good. Gave her a call and said, look, I want to make an offer here. I'm not um, trying to lowball you, but you got to know that your price is top of the market. So what these foreclosure agents do, one, they typically are going to tell the bank, whatever the bank wants to hear price-wise to make sure they've got the business. They can deal with, we got to drop the price later on. They want to get the business. I don't agree with this tactic, but that's their job, not mine. So they get the listings. Then they'll go out and they will price them at the top of the market as if this house was in incredible shape. Now that's typically done because they're setting those prices based on being in their office and not being at the property. Maybe, maybe not. They have somebody from their team go by and look at the property. A lot of times they don't, they'll just comp it and say, okay, this house will bring 320. Um, boom, they put it in at 320 when the house won't bring 250. Uh, but they don't know that yet. They really are depending on us to tell them, uh, hey, this is not gonna bring that kind of number and here's why. So I said, you know, uh, <clears throat> and I don't wanna insult them by saying, well, it's obvious you haven't seen the property. You don't wanna say that. But I go, you're probably aware that that's a very aggressive number on this particular property. Uh, I'm sending over an offer, just giving you a heads up. It's, it's not uh, what you're looking for for the property, but I think it's a fair number. And I think it's a number that your seller uh, will probably consider. And 
Sometimes I get pushed back on that and sometimes I don't. This one, we negotiated uh, $10,000 uh, over the course of about a month. And I was really the only one going after the property. Um, Which also now, helps. Yeah. So here, here's a, uh, an important piece on when you know or pretty much know that you're the only prospective buyer on the deal, you can push that and push it too far. If a deal gets down to whether $10,000 makes the difference on whether it's a good deal or a bad deal, it wasn't a good deal to begin with. So I got to a point where they were digging in, I was digging in and I was like, hey, you know what? I have missed a couple of deals before where I dug in because I was the only person played until I wasn't the only person played. And when you lose a deal because you are just, one time, I, Kev, I literally just gritted my teeth and I said, I am not paying a penny more than this. I am sticking here. End of story. Well, it was the end of the story. Because about a week later, the agent called me and said, somebody showed up and offered us what we ask you to pay and we're under contract. And all well, that time that you spent is now gone. All yeah. that effort, all that headache, all that everything is now gone. It's in the trash can and you're on to the next one. And, and that's fine because that's part of the learning process. And that's exactly yep. so what you, Bill you just pointed out. That, that point where you go, you know what? Um, you learn through time. The, the old uh, adage, penny wise, dollar foolish. Been down that path before, done that before. That particular deal uh, was a 60 grand profit deal that walked away from it, disappeared. And we see a lot of new investors who come in thinking they have to have the absolute bottom price to the penny or they don't want to do it. If your deal is that skinny, it's not a good deal. Okay. Yep. Bottom line is you, there are properties that I pay asking price for because I'm still going to make a profit on the yep. bottom line is do your numbers, know what numbers you need to run, know the actual numbers that you're going to put into that formula. And if your formula works, if the, if the numbers work, do the deal. I don't care how ugly or stinky or smelly the property is. If the numbers work, do the deal. I don't care how beautiful or amazing or fantastic the property or the neighborhood or the city is. If the numbers don't work, turn your back, walk away. Don't waste any more time on that deal. It is strictly all about the numbers. And I know we're running out of time, so I'll, I'll make one quick statement and then uh, I'll, I'll be wrapped up here. I see this a lot with new investors where they will say, hey, I know the seller paid X for the property. And I'm like, yeah, what's your point? Well, they're asking this and they only paid that. And I'm like, that's completely irrelevant. Totally. What they paid for it and when they paid that for it is their deal, not your deal. If the numbers work, then if the seller's making some money, I'm okay with that if the numbers work for me. I'm not trying to squeeze all the profit out of the seller's standpoint. I'm trying to get it the right deal for me. And if the deal's right for you, if I'm buying a property from Kevin and the numbers are right, I don't care how much money he's making. He may be making as much money as I end up making on the property. 
But if I go in knowing that my numbers are right for the parameters for my business, I'm good with that. So what the, the seller paid for the property, immaterial, uh, don't waste any time on it. You'll have agents um, say some of that stuff from time to time. It's pointless and has no bearing on the deal. And we have no right to deny the person who owns that property their profit, okay? Any more than anybody has a, a right to deny us our profit on a property that we have that we know the numbers work on. Uh, if they're selling the property for a number that works, again, do your numbers. If they're selling the property for a number that works, do the deal. If they're not, and they're not interested in budging, stop wasting your time. Move yep. on to the next deal. It's, it is that simple. People get fixated on one deal and they have to figure out how am I going to do this deal? How am I going to make it work? Don't worry about it because in the time you'll, you'll spend trying to figure out how to make that deal work and you, it may not ever work. You've let three, four, five, seven, ten 10 deals pass you by just totally going to your radar because you were fixated on something that you were just, it wasn't going to happen. So look at investing with an open mind, look at it with open eyes. Don't be afraid to look at a deal, know how to do the numbers. Bill and I have been doing this long enough. We can look at the numbers and we say, you know what? Good deal. I'm interested. Not a good deal. Not interested. Um, in, in a lot of particular markets where I deal with Cleveland, for example, we were talking about this just before we went on the air. There are so many good deals that come through my laptop every single day. I can't even do them. I just don't even bother. I look at five, five plus a week. And it's easy for me to do five plus a week in Cleveland every single week over and over and over again. And if I see like more than five in a particular week, I might do six or seven, but there are easily 20 plus good deals that come through my laptop in Cleveland every single week that I could do. If I'm fixated on one deal, I'm missing out on all those other ones. And same thing with, with Orlando where I am now, Palm Beach, Miami area, where I'm, we're going to be going in two weeks. Same thing with the, the Dallas Metroplex. Same thing with where you live, okay? There are good deals and there are skinny deals. If you're looking at a skinny deal, skinny deals work sometimes. If you have a motivated seller, then, then, then do it. A couple extra bucks is better than nothing, okay? But if your deal is so skinny that you have to spend time on it and you have to waste effort on it, it's not worth doing. Go look for one of those, those, those medium or fat deals. All right. So I know we're over. Thanks for uh, hanging with us. We promise we'll always give you good stuff uh, for spending time with uh, Kevin and I on the Investor Guys podcast. And if you want to drop us an email with a topic or a question, you can do it to either Kevin at or Bill at InvestorGuysPodcast.com. And right. uh, make sure you join us for our next episode. Thanks for being here. And yeah. we will see you guys soon. Happy investing.